Good morning. Uh, it, is, uh, it is awkward this morning, a little different than we're even used to. Uh, we, we've, we've done this in, in an empty uh, sanctuary before, uh, but this morning is especially empty. It is, it is just Scott and I in here, and so it is unique, uh, to say the least. But uh, the Lord knew. The Lord knew exactly what was going to happen today, how that was going to look, and he is not taken uh, by surprise one bit. And so we're looking forward to seeing what God uh, can do. So grateful for, for Scott being willing to do um, the music despite uh, no accompaniment from our uh, praise team. Uh, we're, we're, we're thankful for that, that he, that he would do that. As far as today goes, we are back in our Essentials series. Uh, an important series that we, we took a little bit of a break from to talk about injustice, but we're back into, and we've discussed four essentials. We had uh, that the church is essential. The Bible is essential. Prayer is essential. And last week we talked about worship being essential. All of these things needed to to live the Christian life, to, to, to show the Christian life. And today, what we're talking about is equally as essential. In fact, I would say it's probably the defining mark, really to the lost world, the world that is without Christ. Um, it, it shows them that there's a difference. You see, the lost world kind of expects you and I to be part of a church. They expect us to have the Bible in our life in some way, to read it, to talk about it, to reference it, to put it on a mug or a t-shirt. They expect that. They expect us to pray. They expect us to worship in some way. That's, a, that's an expectation that the lost world has for our lives. As a matter of fact, if those things aren't there, they get a little bit confused by our message. If, if God and Jesus is so important, why wouldn't we do those things? And so they, they, they expect those first four things we talked about. That, that, is a, that is the bare minimum, really, of Christianity I'm talking about from the lost world's perspective. We should be doing those. Our, 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 our lives really don't make sense as Christians without those. But what today, today what we're talking about, it's essential, but it also brings that validity to the Christian life. It, 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 it makes us believable. What we're talking about today is where the rubber meets the road. Today we're, we're talking about the word ministry. Ministry. Ministry is essential. Now I'm not talking about pastor, associate pastor, worship pastor. I'm not talking about the ministry. I'm talking about ministry. When the Bible uses that word ministry, it's not an uber-spiritual word at all. In, in fact, the word literally has to do with making a meal and serving it. That's what ministry means, to, to make a meal and to serve it to somebody. 
That's the whole point of ministry. It is, it is the doing of something. It's a little different for us, though, because there's more to it. In fact, we're going to go with this definition. Ministry is whatever you do for someone else that shows them Jesus. Whatever you do for somebody else that shows them Jesus. It's not just working dutifully, but it is the purpose of showing them Jesus. This is the fundamental difference in something that is humanitarian and something that is ministry. In our world, there are needs galore, especially right now in our world. There are many, many, many needs. But there will always be one need that is greater than them all, and that is the need for people to have Jesus. And ministry carries with it the weight of not only doing something for somebody else, but giving them Jesus along with it. Presenting Jesus, letting them see Jesus, letting them experience Jesus through our, through our actions, through our uh, behavior, through our uh, care for them. They can look the same, humanitarian work and ministry, they can look the same on the service, but the ministry, ministry aspect of it has an ulterior motive, and I guess it's not ulterior, I guess it's overt, that we want to give them Jesus. In Tennessee, we used to help these college kids move in at the beginning of every fall at, at Carson Newman University. We'd go down there and we'd help them move in. Uh, they'd, they'd show up and, and, and some of them would be coming from far and wide and, and, and they didn't have any friends there yet or anything like that or, or even some didn't even have family come with them. They'd just be there. And they needed some help getting their stuff to their dorms. And so one thing that the, the, the school organized, but, but, but it would invite churches, is to come and help these kids. And the, 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 the point wasn't just to give them that need, but it was also to expose them to your church, expose maybe even to Jesus. One year we had these shirts made that just said, I'm here for you, and then it said dot, 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 sort of. And then we, on the back we had Colossians 3.23 that says, whatever you do, do it with, work with all your heart as for the Lord. See, we were there for them, but we were also there for the Lord. It was the, it was the, the, the tension of ministry that, that, yes, we're meeting this need, but we're also, we're also about Jesus. And that needs to be known and seen. I'm gonna help you move in but I also want you to know about Jesus. And if ministry, if service, isn't ultimately about Jesus, it isn't ministry. This needs to be our driving motive for everything we do as a church, for everything that we do in our lives, that we're not just meeting a need, but we're giving Jesus along with it. In this series, we've been looking especially at the first church uh, in the book of Acts to see kind of how the essentials 
the things that they deemed essential, how they behaved at the beginning of their, uh, uh, you know, going out and changing the world and how God used them to accomplish great things. And, and we find in the book of Acts, very early on, an interesting story. Actually, it's another story in Acts this time that is lengthy. It takes up all of chapter three and a little bit of chapter four. It's a pretty lengthy, detailed story. You know, the first part of Acts kind of gives us some, you know, we have the, we have the, 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 the day of Pentecost and the sermon there of Peter, and then there's some other kind of bullet points it kind of shoots uh, talking about what they did in, the, in, the, in the, the subsequent days after that. But then all of a sudden, chapter three gets very detailed about what happened. And we find that this story kind of shifts scenes a little bit, but it helps us to see a few things. I want to read you the first eight verses. It says this, One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon, now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went uh, with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story about what, what Peter and John just did this day. And there's a few things that kind of stick out, especially to us, uh, that help us to see a little bit more about what, what, what we're looking for as we talk about ministry. The first thing I see here, number one, is that ministry is unbiased. It's unbiased. They were in a very busy part of the city. This was, this was a, a, a hopping part of the city. And yet, Peter and John saw this guy who spent every day by this same gate going into the temple. He figured this was the best spot to be where religious people are going in. That's the best shot for money, the best shot for, for to, to make a little bit so he could eat and, and, and maybe he had a family to take care of. I, I really don't know uh, the, the ins and outs of his personal life. We see some of his family uh, in the story, but he was there. He had no social standing other than he was probably known as the dude that sat by that gate and begged for money. And yet Peter decided Today's the day. I'm changing this guy's life. He had nothing. He had nothing to offer Peter. This was nothing he could, he could do. This was not politically motivated or, or, or anything. All it was motivated by was there was a need. And this guy needed help. It was unbiased. This guy needs help. I'm going to help him. 
It was not based on any other thing. Ministry is unbiased. We don't need to, to decide who we who are gonna help, who are not gonna help. That, that, that's, that's not really how ministry goes because often, and this is the second point, ministry is, is uh, spontaneous. It just presents itself. Peter and John were going somewhere. They were going to pray with their friends, with their, their new church, really. They were going to pray. They were on a mission. They were, this is what they were going to do, and it just, this happens. Ministry often happens on the fly. You see, service or ministry, they're rarely convenient. There's rarely a great time to serve. Peter and John weren't just killing time. They were on their way to pray. They were on their way to do actually spiritual work when an opportunity presented itself. And on a side note, just praise the Lord that Peter wasn't so focused on ministry that he forgot to do ministry. That happens, man. You get so focused on whatever it is you do, maybe in and out, maybe in this church or, 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 or other places, we get so focused on that that we forget to do ministry all around us all the time. And Peter wasn't so focused that I gotta get to prayer meeting, I gotta get to prayer meeting, I gotta go. They're looking to me. He was the, the de facto leader at this, at this point. He's the voice of Christianity. And he didn't get so focused on that that he didn't see this guy. He's like, I gotta help him. He helped him. Sometimes we get so focused on, on what we're doing for the Lord that sometimes we miss what the Lord is actually doing. That the Lord presents an opportunity for us to meet a need. And sometimes we're so focused on good things. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we get so focused on, 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 on a tunnel vision ministry that we forget to help this person. Ministry is, is spontaneous. Ministry is unbiased. It also is measured. Ministry is measured. What I mean by that is this man had a specific desire. He, he, he wanted money. That's what he was after. That's what he was asking for. Uh, you know, he, he, had, he had been lame for a long time. He had probably been doing this spiel for a very long time. And so he, he, he probably just kind of rhythmically was just saying, this is, this is what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need, money. If you have any change at all, you can give it to me, please. But Peter told him, I, I don't have any money. That had to be a little bit of a letdown because he's you know, kind of taking your time there and other people are walking into the temple that might have money. And so Peter just tells him, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give you. And what he had that day was something significantly better. He healed him. He healed him. Ministry means that sometimes I just have to give people what I have, not what they want. I have to assume that God is a sovereign God, and that if a person has come up to me 
what I have may be not what they want, but it may be what they need. And so I have to assume that I, God has organized this meeting between us. I, I am a magnet for, for, for situations like this. Uh, Kayla can tell you, uh, just about everywhere we go, we, we, we might get stopped by somebody who needs help or something, and I can't help myself. I, I believe everybody, when they tell me the problems, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, it's funny because I, I tend to be a little cynical by nature on normal things, but when people come and need help or need something, I, I tend to be far more compassionate. And Kayla and I have been in a lot of weird situations where people have come up and beat on the window and, and had to roll down the window. We had, we had a lady ask us one time for pizza. She, wanted, she saw that we had pizza in the car and she wanted pizza. And so uh, we, we, we gave her pizza. It, it's just funny how these things happen uh, constantly because God is organizing that. He's organizing that, and I have to assume that whatever I have in that moment, if it was pizza, then God had allowed us to buy that pizza at that time to help that lady. I have to assume that. Ministry's measured a little bit in that way, that we don't know why God has put us here, and sometimes they, a person may have this other need and I don't know if I can meet it or not, but I do have something I can give them. At the, very, at the very base, I can give them Jesus. I can give them compassion. I can give them what they need. So ministry is unbiased, spontaneous. It's measured sometimes. The question has to ask, though, where did, where did Peter learn all of this? I mean, he's just a simple fisherman. He's not... He's not nuanced in the art of dealing with people. He, he, he's not, in fact, we have story after story of Peter not being really great at dealing with people, cutting their ears off and such. When we, when we look at this series, we've been looking at the, the early church, but we've been also going back into the Gospels to kind of see maybe where this early church got its roots and why they did what they did. Because we need to know that. We need to know why this church did what they did. Why did Peter do what he did? If you have your Bible, if you're, if you're using your Bible there at home this morning, flip over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're gonna see maybe where Peter might have learned this. And what's funny is, this was not some long-standing lesson he had learned. He'd only known this for a, for a couple of months. We're not going that far back in history here, from the time that Peter healed this guy to where Peter might have learned what he needed to do. In John chapter 13, we are coming to the end of Jesus' life. In fact, this is the night before everything would go down, leading to the cross. And it says this, John chapter 13, verse one. It says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil was already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, 
to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then this typical Peter, he kind of over, overdoes things. Then Lord, not just my feet, and my hand, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and, he, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher, Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you, set you an example that you do as I have done for you. Fairly, or very truly, I, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus is here at the end of his life. He's got a lot of things on his mind, no doubt. And the one thing that was customary in their culture was not just to wash your hands before supper, but wash your feet. They didn't really sit in chairs in those days. They, they reclined back on small, lower tables. And so your feet were kind of in everybody's business. And so it was important to wash your feet. And if you didn't wash your feet, there was often a servant who did it for you. And it didn't take any special uh, abilities or anything like that, so that that was often reserved for the lowest servant, most likely a child, a kid, would wash your feet and get all the stuff off of them. On a normal day, their feet would have been gross. This was Passover. So the town was hopping. There was lots of people busy in the town, and people didn't have cars back then. They had animals, and animals sometimes do things that are gross. And sometimes you're not looking where you're going and your feet step in gross things. There was also sacrifices being done and they would have been around where those sacrifices would have been because that's the point of Passover. And so there would have been blood and there would have been all kinds of, their feet would have probably been exceptionally gross, which is probably why none of them wanted to touch it. They were hungry, and they just kind of probably all understood, hey, all our feet are gross. We'll just kind of sit with our feet sticking out way far and not deal with it. So Jesus got them all set down, 
and then he did something unthinkable. The creator of Jupiter and Mount Rainier and your Cocker Spaniel puts on a towel, takes off his cloak, puts on a towel, puts water in a basin, and he washes the very feet that he created. No doubt, this is why Peter was struggling. This is why Peter is struggling. I, I would too. Um, it, it, is, it is a humbling thing um, to, to have to, to do something like that. It is one thing for me, I'm changing a few diapers right now in my life, uh, and it is one thing to do that, to change uh, diapers and to do things like that for my children, but for grown Men, I can't imagine what that would have been like. And so he, he washed him, and Peter's struggling with this, but he tells him, you don't realize what I'm doing, but you will. It's a teaching moment that the Lord of glory, who, who's gonna serve them on a scale here in 24 hours, that, that's never been touched, so he's, He's doing what the lowliest servant would do in the washing of their feet, and in a few hours, he's going to hang on a cross for all of humanity and serve them by taking their sin upon himself. That, that's a pretty big service gap that he's scaling, willing to do the most menial of things and doing the very thing that only Jesus can do in dying for their sins. So Jesus washed their feet. This leads us to a couple more things about ministry. Number one, ministry is humbling. Ministry is humbling. Just because it's the servant's job, this didn't stop Jesus from doing what needed to be done. And then when he was done, he tells them, you need to wash each other's feet. Maybe literally, maybe, maybe he's literally saying, you need to take care of each other when I'm gone, you know, maybe. I don't think so, I think he's being metaphorical. I, I, I think he, he's going greater than just their feet here. If washing your feet needs to be done, sure. But what Jesus' point here is, if you're willing to wash somebody's feet, if you're willing to scrub them and stick your fingers between their toes and really get them clean, then there's nothing you won't do for them. You, you gotta be humble enough to do the smallest of things in order to minister properly. Ministry means that I'm, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to help somebody. And that's hard, right? I don't like being inconvenienced. I, I've got a life, I've got a family, I've got stuff I'm doing. But Jesus said this is an expectation of a disciple, that, that you, you're willing to wash somebody else's feet. But you know what's weird? In a total Jesus way, there's a juxtaposition here. 
that passage ended on a very interesting verse. Verse 17, I'll read it for you again. This is the next thing I want you to see. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Ministry is a blessing. There is something about ministry, serving somebody else, that God says is a blessing. So it's, it's funny because you, you and I kind of, if I choose not to meet a need that I see right in front of me, I'm not only robbing that person of a blessing, but I'm robbing myself of a blessing. Jesus says, man, this is, this is what it's about, man. Like life, life is better if you're serving. Your life will be better. You wanna know why you're depressed? You wanna know why you're, you're struggling in life and you're melancholy and you're ho-hum? Is it possible that you're not serving people? That the blessing that resides there is left untouched because of your unwillingness, my unwillingness to, to just help somebody else. It's amazing. Jesus is saying that, that, that this, is, this is not just a one-way street here where you just pour your life out and pour your life out and pour your life out and pour your life out. You, you will get something from this as well. There is fulfillment in this. Especially in the Christian life, because at the end of the day, if the Christian life was just about me and my relationship with Jesus, it would make sense for Jesus just to take me up and take me home at the moment of conversion. Don't leave me in this world that is broken and wretched. But he does. He leaves me here after salvation why? Service, ministry, to be his hands, to be his feet. And there's fulfillment in that. Later in the same chapter, Jesus tells them something very, very important. Look at, if you're still in your Bible, John chapter 13, just skip down all the way to verse 34. He's still in the same moment uh, again, this is John kind of telling a long story, which was kind of John's way. And so if you'll skip down all the way to verse 34, he says this. Jesus is still talking to them. He says this, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. And how had he just expressed his love? He washed their feet. See, this isn't just willy-nilly, you need to have feelings for other people. Jesus is telling them, this is the commandment I give you, that you love one another, that you serve one another. That you serve, and this is how people will know you're my 
disciples. This is what I meant by the fact that the lost world expects us to go to church. They expect us to have the Bible as part of our life. They expect us to pray. They expect us to worship at some level. But where they really start to get impacted by Jesus is not when they see us doing those four things, but it's when they start to be impacted by my life because of those four things. Our love is shown through service, through, through ministry. Now let's return back to our story in Acts as we, co- as we close today. Let, let me show you. When, when, when Peter chose to heal this guy, big things happened, and I mean big things. This is, this is a really actually a, a, a neat story. So Jesus, I mean, so, so Peter heals the man. The man is obviously super pumped, so he's jumping around in the courtyard as they go in, and he's drawing pretty, a pretty big crowd, and there's a big crowd here. There's a, 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 a huge crowd. And Peter gives them the gospel. He doesn't waste any time. He, he gives them. In fact, the passage tells us that uh, in, in chapter four it says, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 people. This was a bigger day in the history of the church than Pentecost. Pentecost was 3,000 people being added to the church that day. Today, because of this, this, this ministry of healing this man and the proclaiming of the gospel, 5,000 people. There's something about ministry. This is a side note. This is free. There's something about ministry that allows you to be heard. When you do ministry right, people will listen to what you have to say. Everybody on there, all 5,000, I guarantee you, knew the dude sitting beside the gate. They passed him every day. He's probably hit him up for money a few times. They probably gave him money a, a few times. But now all of a sudden, man, he is jumping all over the courtyard. He is, he is not just uh, healed of the ability to stand up. Nope, the Bible says when God heals, he is healing him. He healed so much so that he is jumping all over this courtyard. And so it draws the, it draws the attention of the religious leaders of the day. And they, they capture John and Peter and they drag them into this kind of makeshift court, and they're interrogating them about what they did, why they did it, who, who gave them the right to do this, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're just kind of going at them. And so Peter didn't waste any time. He gave them the gospel too. Remember, it's unbiased. Peter is unbiased at this point. He has given the gospel to whoever will listen. So he has given the gospel to these people who, by the way, were among the ones who killed Jesus. And then the Bible says something very interesting. In Acts chapter four and verse 13, it says this. When, this is talking about the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and just ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They will know you're my disciples 
if you love, if you serve. And these men picked up on the fact that these were disciples of Jesus. Why? Because of what they did and because of what they talked about. It worked. It worked that day. There was nothing they, these men could do anything to Peter and John. They had to let them go. They told them, you can't, you can't heal people and talk about people in Jesus' name anymore. And they, they, they sent them off to go tell their friends the same thing. Um, but that, that is an interesting story. The lost world notices, noticed that these men were special because of their attachment to Jesus. There was something about their lives that looked different. Remember, they're, they're surrounded by religiousness. They're, they're, they're in the temple, they're in the temple courtyard. Uh, everybody there is religious. Everybody there is, is worshiping. Everybody there is actually, as far as the Old Testament goes, they're, they're, they're very versed in the, in the word of God as far as the Old Testament goes. But there was something about these men that looked different. And what looked different was the way they treated people and who they talked about. They served people and they talked about Jesus. This is to be the mark of every Christian's life. Ministry isn't just for a select few pastors or whoever. It is for anybody who follows Jesus. It is essential. Christianity has fallen off in our country not for lack of services or churches or books or Christian-y things. Christianity has fallen off in our country because of Christians' lack of ministry to each other and to other people outside of the church walls. We are in a time now that is unique. We are all stuck in this time that is, um, well, we're all sharing it. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, we are sharing a season that is unique. And there are lots of needs. This season has provided us with a myriad of opportunities to serve people and therefore an opportunity to talk about Jesus. There's much to be said about ministry uh, especially from the, the, the scripture standpoint. But let us today know that we need to help people, neighbors, strangers, whoever we come in contact with, and while we're helping them, they need to know about Jesus. That is ministry. Let us be about it. Let's pray. 
Father, we're so grateful to come to you this morning. It's a unique day uh, for First Baptist that we, uh, uh, that, 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 that you'll just help us. Help us to, to understand what we need to be about. Help us to, to know who we need to serve and how we need to serve them and that we may not give them exactly what they want, but we can give them what we have, namely you. You've gifted people and you've uh, given people talents and abilities and, 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 and there's a lot of different things that go into that. Help us to use those things to bless others, but even in that moment, to bless ourselves. That we will realize the fulfillment that lies in serving other people, showing other people you. Lord, help us. If there are those out there today who, who don't know Jesus, that they will, that they will they will give Jesus a look. Because life with Jesus is better. Especially in today's world, man, with so much uncertainty, so much, so much even fear, that I need something I can attach my life to that is an anchor, as you call it, an anchor to my soul. Jesus. Father, please let those who may not know Christ this morning come to know him, to follow him all their days. But also, those that do know him, that they will choose to show Jesus to a lost world through their actions, through their words, through their ministry that you've given each believer. We're so grateful for all that you do, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all that you are. Your son's precious and holy name. Amen.